This podcast is supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme of the European Union. Welcome to the Rights Reporting Podcast. This is a show aiming to improve the rights of blind and partially sighted citizens in Europe. My name is Neven Milivojevic and I will be hosting today's episode. And today we will focus on the important rights of access to habilitation and rehabilitation. Habilitation is usually referred to as a process aiming at helping people gain certain new skills, abilities and knowledge, while rehabilitation usually refers to regaining skills, abilities or knowledge that may have been lost or compromised as a result of acquired disability. Or maybe also due to a change uh, in your disability or circumstances. The right is clearly stipulated in the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, and more specifically in the Article 26. Well, unfortunately, the political visions do not always turn into reality. And we see that the implementation of these rights often are not in place. We will today meet two experts on this topic, one of them from Spain and the other one from Lithuania. And we will hear more about barriers and challenges, but also about possibilities and tools for solutions. But let us first listen to the story of uh, Conchi Blocona, who is an re- instructor of rehabilitation at the Spanish Association ONCE, and she is going to tell us about a woman called Belen. My name is Concha Blocona, instructor of rehabilitation at ONCE and also Belen's. Her case is what I'm going to talk about. Indeed, she is an example of tenacity and struggle to get through the personal and social vicissitudes she had to live. Belen is a person who, since she was a child and due to the severe visual impairment she had, she joined ONCE and went to a regular school. But to follow the classes and the rest of her fellows, there are some issues to be considered to guarantee her inclusive education is real and effective. Many of the measures to carry out were She sits in the front row of the class so that she could use in the best way possible her sight and rest and follow the class. Graphics, maps and images had a bigger size. Teachers to give oral instructions to promote her inclusion and socialization with all students. But not always these measures were carried out, so she had to learn how to manage her emotions and feelings of uncertainty and even rejection since she was little. Regarding her family, was integrated by her parents and her older sister. No family member but her had visual impairment. This has forced them to adapt themselves and integrate the visual disability in their life and environment. Regarding her adult education, she studied physiotherapy 
in a public university, overcoming physical barriers and the barrier of a passive society, which allows many of the times the exclusion being part of it. Regarding her job, when she finishes her studies, she started to work in different clinics and hospital centers. Few years doing so, she attends the official exams to work as a physiotherapist. Once she passed them, she applies for her place, acknowledging she is a person with disabilities and she is awarded a hospital where she needed to move inside different buildings of the hospital. The reasonable accommodation needed for her job, bearing in mind the problems she may have, were tackled by ONCE in order to guarantee access to the hospital and consisted of the following measures. A right report evaluating the physical barriers of the hospital to eliminate them, such as mark the stairs, the elevators, the gaps with slopes, In addition, to identify visually and with sound the cabin of the elevators, as well as having adequate lightning. Definitely remove obstacles in the passage area. Regarding the reasonable accommodation in the place of work, therapist instruments and devices are adapted due to its lack of accessibility designs. And in addition, it is recommended to elaborate a visual and touchable map of the hospital. But what difficulties had Belen encountered in this concrete job? Well, the continuous modification of work areas within the hospital without having solved the accessibility problems of the environment. At the same time, she found personal limitations because she is excluded by the environment and she fears it won't include her being underestimated and overprotected and even rejected because of her disability. Barriers of obstacles, stereotypes, and misconceptions leading to wrong decisions must be removed. It is necessary to eliminate barriers created many times by the omission of those responsible. The barrier created by a passive society which allows the exclusion and that assumes abnormality as normal and the continuous attempt to treat the unequal as equal. When a worker within a disability lives with professionals who do not have it, although adjustments have to be made, the disability can take a back seat. And that is when talent, ability and skills prevail. Then the disability worker reaches fullness in this performance and the rest of the workers eliminates the multitude of barriers and prejudices. Disability is then normalized. I would like to welcome our two guests for today's podcast. We have Barbara Martin Munoz, who is the second vice president of European Blind Union. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. And we also have Ilma Jokstite, who is the vice president of the Lithuanian Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Most welcome, Ilma. Thank you. Hello, everyone. So, Barbara, what are your thoughts about uh, Berlin's story? And uh, even though she was successful in many ways, do you recognize the challenges she met? How would you describe the situation in Spain today and what can be done? Okay, I think uh, Berlin's case is one of many examples of perseverance and good attitude towards life. 
no matter how hard it was, and it really was for her, who died unfortunately two years ago. She was a white cane user, but also a guide dog brought from Rochester, which shows her determination for autonomy and mobility. So this means that she needed constant rehabilitation that meant at the same time her habilitation for life and work. In reality, her perseverance and patience have been decisive factors in facing complicated situations and overcoming barriers that apparently seemed insurmountable. The biggest challenge for her, I would say, was having to demonstrate constantly that she was capable of performing her job because far from being presumed to do so, as it is the case for persons without disabilities, in her case, the relevant issues were the impediments to do so, ignoring the essential, her capacity and ability to do her job as anyone else. I mean with impediments, by the way, those who were alleged by people with unjustable prejudices, attitudes, and resistance. Regarding the situation in Spain, you were asking, um, well, I think Belen was very lucky because she could study and work on what she liked, but unfortunately, this is not the case normally. As you know, in Spain, ONCE does a great job and the Spanish disability movement in general is united, strong and very active with the governments at local, regional and national level. But this is not enough. We still need to raise awareness on how habilitation and rehabilitation are crucial to achieve our real equal opportunities in education, at work, when participating in public life, Oh, yes, I know. You may be wondering, do you really need to do this in the 21st century when the CRPD you mentioned is on board? And unfortunately, the answer is yes. And do we must. We have to do it. Yes. Well, and also, as you say, ONCE is a very strong association and still there is so much to do. So, Ilma, uh, how is the situation in Lithuania when it comes to rehabilitation? I mean, how do you try to to meet the challenges? Uh, Well, Lithuanian Blind and Visually Impaired People Association is also quite strong uh, in in acting, but we are NGO. And of course, we have our limits and we we need bigger support from, from the state itself because uh i think we are the only country uh, which provides the rehabilitation services through public procurement what it means it means that we do not have any system uh any regular system and every year uh, people make groups for example for uh, for rehabilitate um, some participants that lost their vision but no one knows who is going to give the service this year. So it means the public procurement has to be done. And then they're going, uh, the organization who, uh, which is financed will have to find the resources, the specialists, um, uh, all the necessary tools and so on. So of course you cannot have a very effective um, result with this type of organ- 
organization tools, but uh, Lithuania is uh, doing as much as they can, or maybe we can always do more, but um, we are trying to make the, bring those changes and seeing the, um, the experiences of other countries, I hope um, that we will take the necess necessary solutions and actually at the time when the podcast is being recorded, um, the meetings and debates about how to improve this system should be done. Uh, another very important uh, problem is that we have a huge lack of specialists uh, of teachers, instructors uh, who could provide with professional help and uh, who can consult and do those uh, those trainings in the right way. So it means, you know, how will you motivate someone to study rehabilitation, let's say for blind and visually impaired people, when the community is so small? Of course, in a small community, it's much harder to uh, to work effectively uh, but um, another problem is uh, that we don't get contacts of the people who need our help our organization and we as as people who know the situation very well and as having uh, contacts with all the best specialists uh, we want to help the people but uh, you know they don't find uh, us at the necessary time. So let's say I have a couple of friends who lost their vision and then, uh, you know, the doctor said to them, okay, um, no more medical help can be provided to you. Now you can go home and they go home. They are not directed to any organization. And if someone doesn't tell to them or if they aren't um, active enough or courage uh, courageous enough to find the information themselves how blind people live uh, so then it takes much time for us to find them and to give the necessary tools so that they can recover their lives because this necessity to understand for volitions what it is to to get proper rehabilitation it means to recover your ability to be an equal and effective part of the society so that's what we are trying to achieve in Lithuania and to have at least a stable system which would function every year, which would be available and would be available in all the parts of the country. Because in the cities, you have one situation and one access to information. And in the regions, the situation is different. So our NGO uh, association is almost covering the whole country but of course it's sad that we have to to do it alone with the small help of of the state well yeah and of course this is a it is a, a traditionally not as easy task in in Lithuania as it has been maybe in western europe to develop the, the rehabilitation systems in the same way although you you do have uh, structures which you are building on, but how is it, for instance, if you uh, look at the access to assistive devices and technologies? How would you say that is in 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 Lithuania this access? Uh, this year, 2022, we had changes in in this system, so the access was expanded with new technologies, which we uh, could be compensated for our people. Um, it is very 
it is very nice. Also, some changes occurred in financing um, the necessary devices and technologies. The problem is that still, you know, for us and for our people, they are still quite expensive. If you can get a white cane uh, with a full compensation, that's uh, that's fine. But for example, if you want um, to have a phone, a mobile phone, and to be able to use its fun functionality for your assistive apps, uh, you will get from the state 200 euros, something like that, for this. And uh, the remaining you have to find yourself. So let's say if I am using an iPhone and if I find only this phone helpful for my situation, I need um, I need to, you know, to find this opportunity. So same thing happens with all the devices. Let's say if people cannot uh, cannot use the voiceover and they need braille display, they still also have to pay quite much to get the braille display. And, you know, they usually have to buy that first and only then get the compensation, which is also very disturbing. So these we are trying to change. The access, the technological access and infrastructure in Lithuania is really, is really fine. We are, we are capable in accessing the devices. Maybe still, you know, there's a need of specialists which would be combining mobility with those assistive devices. Because here, now most often, people are taught mobility separately from the use of the assistive devices uh, because these instructors that we have they are very good in teaching ability techniques of the white cane and um, teaching the roots and so on but uh, they don't have this experience in bringing up the assistive devices to those programs they are taught separately and again we need to expand the education Mm, I see, I see. Okay, so now we covered a little about how the situation is, but um, it's also interesting for us in this podcast to look at uh, the different uh, political frameworks. And I mean, Barbara, I know that you are actually an expert on, on uh, the CRPD, the United Nations Convention. What would you say, uh, is this a useful tool for improving the situation uh, uh, in Europe and in Spain? And uh, how can we use this as a tool? Oh, yes. I think it's the best tool we could have because it is the first human rights convention of this century. It is a minimum rights compendium. This means that it, if there is national legislation that goes further CRPD, this can be applied without contravening it. This is rare, but let's be fair, sometimes occur. It defines for the very first time what are disabled people in the international framework, and this is key. Let me read to you who are those. And those are who have long-term physical, mental, intellectual, or sensory impairments, which interaction with various barriers may restrict their full and effective participation in society on an equal basis. This definition is key and needs to be reminded to avoid paternalistic approaches to disability matters. 
So CRPD should be interpreter in order to fully maximize the potential of the rights granted from the human, human rights perspective. It has a monitoring mechanism consistent of a committee that includes people with disabilities, including blind people, and partially sighted, from around the world. States parties are the CRPD have to report how they are complying with the convention two years after its entry into force for them and every four years afterwards. Civil societies, specifically persons with disabilities and their representative organizations, have an active role in the monitoring on the monitoring of this convention and may submit what is called a shadow report. The optional protocol, also part of the convention, but it is voluntary, when it has been ratified, enables disabled people individually or in groups to report directly to the committee if they feel their rights under the convention are not being guaranteed in any specific situation. And this is very relevant because the CRPD since the very beginning was meant to be applied, but unfortunately, unfortunately, not always people with disabilities as individuals or their representatives or organizations are aware of its potential and what is more important, its binding content. Most interesting. So would you say that the, mo the, the biggest challenge is actually that... Uh, uh, the implementation from the state side, or would it be uh, as big a uh, challenge that um, people don't actually report the, the challenges with the, the, the could uh, the, where they could relate to the CRPD? I would say both. I mean, they are very relevant. It's the first time that uh, individuals can acknowledge the committee that there's something really that is not working at national, regional, or local level and also the importance of having persons with disabilities uh, being part of the whole process. And it is key at national level that all, uh, you know, at, uh, public administration are aware of it, because um, if they don't use it, they are not complying with an obligation they do have. So I would say both together. Very fair. So... Another topic we wanted to cover today is actually the one about habilitation. Irma, we know that habilitation also has a crucial role. Um, how do you work with this uh, in uh, Lithuania? Uh, well, of course, you know, um, we, we have the main, the main issue here is that most of the time we don't have um, really clearly separated habilitation and rehabilitation processes. I mean, uh, they even do habilitate children, but they still call it rehabilitation. So there's this misunderstanding. And uh, the other issue is that only children who are in the city uh, are tend to have proper habilitation or let's say even it's not the habilitation, but they are at least um, able to attend children garden, which really compensates quite much because if the child has social life, has access to the social life, has ability to take part in some 
activities, um, it's very important. While the children who live in smaller towns and they and their parents do not want to bring them to the regular children garden, then they are left to to be grown at home, and they don't get any uh, any way to to get some habilitation. And it's crucially important because um, if sighted children get um, those you know main skills at home, how to take care of themselves, how to tidy up the home, and so on and so on. So blind children usually are overprotected by their parents and um, the habilitation process should include not only the children but their parents as well. And it's very, uh, again, it's very hard to, to access people and to react on time because um, the biggest problem in Lithuania is statistics and information um, trans, trans, transparency and transferring the information, you know, that proper institutions would be on time with appropriate help. But it's understandable, you know, when there are so uh, few people, it's, it's really much harder to, to bring up the changes, you know. And when we come to politicals and we say, hello, please play your part, then they say how many of of you need that and we are let's say um let's say 50 children through the country right who would need habilitation they will not look at it seriously but no matter how many even the one person would be very important to provide with the necessary help because if you don't give the habilitation you don't give the person um bigger part of their life because it's much harder to have this um to to train this skill when you are an adult when when you are lo- out of education at some time mm, exactly but if we if we look at what barbara was talking about before do you feel like uh, that uh, your government listens when you bring up the united nations convention and tell them about the duties they, they signed up to? Uh, well, we have uh, in Lithuania, we have forum of disability organizations. It is really actively uh, representing the United Convention, uh, UNCRPD. So it, it really helps a lot. And also uh, we as NGOs uh, do really hard work in accessing ministries and politicians. And we are happy that, uh, you know, they, they listen to us. They try to do, uh, they try to at least react to our needs. How successful, it's another question and another topic. But, um, but yeah, we, together with other organizations, of course, we can do more. Because if we go only from the blind people perspective, we don't get uh, the quick reaction. But if we find more partners, which we are doing, then we can see the changes. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Irma. So, Barbara, uh, we are soon in the end of our podcast, but I I would like to ask you about how you see uh, the work with habilitation in Spain and if you have any uh, reflections about successful work in relation to that. 
Well, in Spain, we believe that nothing should be taken for granted. And we are well aware that it took a lot of effort and time to get where we are now. So this is why we do assess very positively uh, what ONCE does. Uh, ONCE provides its social services as soon as uh, it learns of the blindness or severe visual impairment of a child by the family. And I know not only to the baby or the child, but also to the parents who will need to learn how to deal with blindness without overprotection, for example, through psychological help as many other considerations. We do believe that blind and partially sighted people are regular students, so they go to regular schools. They get the help they need from professionals at ONCE, who also provide some guidelines to teachers in order to guarantee the student not only to follow the class, but also play and with other children and receive equal treatment. All of that is done by providing all kinds of aids, technical or not, to access to the educational materials until the students finish their studies in the university. When we refer to work, for example, ONCE also assists uh, the public administration or private companies to provide the reasonable accommodation to blind and partially sighted workers who may need and um, refers to a specific uh, optical aids or screen readers, for example. After many years doing this, ONCE knows what to do and how and when, without forgetting that each, that each person is different and may need to adapt the procedure to guarantee the best habilitation possible for her or for him. Uh, sorry, can I ask shortly, Barbara? Yes. But uh, you, you don't have any issues in accessing information about people who lost their vision. They, they reach your organization easily. Yeah, we, we, we do have a, a, a rehabilitation for uh, not only for optical, uh, but when referring to access to information, uh, we, we are very concerned about that. And, and this provides me the opportunity to, to mention the, the Marrakesh Treaty to facilitate access for blind and partially sighted and otherwise print disabled people to print material. Uh, where ONCE is uh, honored to share uh, its uh, library with more than 50,000 uh, works in accessible format, uh, braille and uh, audio format, so that not only child, but also, you know, music score and other types of um, uh, literacy, whether it's leisure or for the university researches and so on, can be shared with other countries that may have... Uh, not the economic um, um, possibility to to do it so. So we we are really concerned about access to information at all terms. Also in the you know health from the health point of view, when you access to the hospital or if you need to go to a judge and how to do that. Also, is is we we work very hard on that as well. Right, exactly. But Barbara, do you have a, a assignment from the state to 
to do this uh, because I think the question was related to how you get to know about the visually impaired and blind people. Ah, okay, yeah, because we 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 are in Spain. We are the only organization that uh, provides services specifically for blind and partially sighted people. So this is something that the state um, let us uh, do it through because we we can handle that because we have our lottery. So with the money we get from selling the lottery, we provide social services. So when someone is born blind in a hospital, normally they tell them that they have to come to ONCE to uh, provide or to see uh, whether if the problem uh, is so severe that ONCE can handle um, all, all kind of situations for, for the person. At least when you are a child, ONCE provides almost every child uh, uh, some kind of uh, help to make sure that they they can handle and they can go to school, as I said before. Yes. Well, thank you very, very much, both of you, for participating in this podcast. And thank you also for listening to the Rise Reporting Podcast. This show is a part of the European Parvis project, and it's led by the European Blind Union, the Swedish Association of the Visually Impaired, and the Eye Association of the Netherlands. And this project is supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Program of the European Union. Do you want to know more about us? You can find contact details in our show notes. Also, thank you very much to Emil Cornelis, who is our soundmaster based in Netherlands. Uh, the next episode of this podcast will be aired in about two months. So don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app or uh, check on our website. Until then, I wish you all the best. This podcast was supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme of the European Union.